Hi, this is Barack Lurie, and this is the Barack Lurie Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, with me, as always, is my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Uh, and uh, a shout-out to our phone number, 310-478-7788, if you have any legal questions or want to talk about the show. Uh, happy to talk to you about it, 310-478-7788. Our, uh, uh, we focus on real estate and business litigation. And uh, as you probably f- have figured out, we have a chess-like approach to uh, things here. Because uh, that's the way life really is. It's all about consequences. And this is what this show seems to be always about at the same time. Uh, speaking about consequences and such, we'll be talking about ISIS. But one of the things that uh, Arhi and I were just talking about offline was small talk and how difficult it is for, for him and for me to uh, engage in typical small talk. You, you go around and you say, well, I, I really like that shirt. Where did you get that shirt? Uh, you know, where, uh, what do you th- that, that watch that you have, uh, what kind of watches do you prefer, digital or the regular, the analog kind? Oh, you know, I think analog is making a cam- comeback, yeah, wh- whatever. That kind of thing, we just can't seem to wrap our minds around. Yeah, Ari's making the, set, the, uh, the gesture of, of killing himself with a revolver to the head. Um, I, I'm with him, I understand. Maybe he's more extreme than I am, but um, I, just, I just really prefer the big, the, the big talk. And, um, you know, especially in, in today's day and age where we have ISIS, we have Russia, we have Obamacare, we have the socialization of America, the whittling it down of American history. There are so many big picture items to talk about which are far more interesting. I mean, I get it, though. I mean, if, if you're talking about your own business, for example, and you make, let's say, uh, I don't know, boogie boards, okay, and you want to talk about the latest and greatest boogie board, fine. Okay, I got it. But I'm, I'm talking about real small talk, uh, where people just talk about stuff that it really has no impact upon them one, one way or the other. Uh, I guess my biggest small talk is when I talk about technology that I think really helps. For example, Waze, W-A-Z-E. I really like that app. It helps me get around. And I'll, I, I bring it up only for purposes of uh, helping people with technology that, that I think is great. But, yeah, we have ISIS, we have um, Russia, all those things we just talked about. And you brought up the example, Ari, of let's, let's pretend this were 1938. And uh, with all the things that were going on at the time with Hitler, Mussolini, and so on, and, and even Stalin, uh, there was plenty to talk about. In fact, I think there's more to talk about now than there was back then. Uh, we are, after all, a smaller world uh, due to technology and otherwise. And, but it reminds me of a, a funny story. My, my wife's late great-aunt, uh, she was a wonderful woman. She died at the age of 106. I went to her 100th birthday. As you can imagine, that's quite a celebration. And we all flew out to Texas to, to visit with her, and I couldn't wait to meet her. I mean, you, and you, wouldn't, you couldn't wait to meet such a person also, right? I did the math. She, she was 100 in the year 2002, so she was born in 1902, and, uh, or 04, whatever. Uh, she was born that, you know, very early 1900s. And so I did the math, and I figured, oh, she was a grown woman during the Depression. She saw the Roaring Twenties. She saw, you know, Calvin Coolidge. I mean, she saw what, what had happened with, um, with FDR, with, of course, uh, she even knew what, she even witnessed World War I, not just World War II, World War I. 
And so, you know, I, I came up to her and I said, and she's with it. She's totally with it. A little hard of hearing, but she's focused. And I say to her, you know, what an honor it is to meet you. Tell me what it's like. What was it like, uh, you know, when you first saw the car? She told us about how she had horse and buggies to go to school, and now the, then the car came along. And what, what did that feel like? What was the impression that you got? Um, and what was it like uh, when you heard the first time the word Hitler? What did that mean to you? And, and I, I go on with like four different big world examples that were happening during her very long life. And what does she say to me? She looks at me and she says, you know, I don't really keep up with the news. <laughs> so I thought, oh, man, what a shame. <laughs> she just, you know, she, her life had been, and God bless her, uh, maybe that's the way to live. She, she just totally tuned out all of the world. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the secret to her uh, longevity. Anyway, um, but we do have huge issues at play right now. And we are living now through what I believe is the fulcrum moment. And maybe that we'll call that ISIS colon the fulcrum moment, right? I mean, it's, it's, and it really is. Here is this ragtag army, or at least it was a ragtag army, that is gaining such momentum. Uh, they're somewhere in the order of 10 to 15,000 men at this point. And we should say monsters, perhaps. But that's, uh, that's where they're at. And uh, they have succeeded by way of simply stealing leftover American artillery and tanks um, and, uh, and, and otherwise stolen from the, uh, the Kurds and otherwise. So um, we have uh, a big problem coming. And, and they are recruiting more and more men. So with each passing success... And with each apparent inability of the United States to actually respond to them, with each new beheading, uh, they get more and more emboldened, and they get more excited, and they grow. So we have a big uh, crisis on our hands. Um, and it's an obvious crisis. Anyone looking at this can see that, you know, first of all, we're talking about crazies, right? The, the Islamist extremists are truly crazy, and they will galvanize themselves at, at the drop of a hat. Anything that, that seems remotely um, pushing forward uh, for their movement, well, that'll, that'll be a recruiting mechanism. So, uh, like I said, the latest beheading uh, is just a great thing for them. And their sense that Obama will do nothing. Or, you know, and that's all they need to know. That's all they need to feel, to sense, is that Obama and the West, for that matter, will do nothing. And that, that is the message that we are clearly sending them. So, what is Obama's move now? We, we know it is Obama, what his move is, and there's only oh. one move. <laughs> that, that's what his move was and has been and it will continue to be. Uh, but it, what his move should be, of course, is to blast these guys to the Stone Age, right? We know that. But it takes, it, it's just not in his DNA. We've said this before. He just done, does not have the capacity, the, the guts, if you want, the backbone. It's just not in him to be a fighter. Now, look, I, I know that many liberals listening to this will say, and they've written to me, what are you talking about, Barack? So I'm just going to lay it out there for them as if, as if the liberals are actually saying this uh, on this show. Uh, what are you talking about? He, uh, he helped in the Libya situation. He, of course, killed uh, bin Laden. 
Um, he got involved um, a little bit in Syria, but not much. But nevertheless, he, he talked tough. And, uh, you know, what do you want us to do? Have protracted wars in Iraq and Afghanistan for the rest of eternity? And by the way, uh, he, kept, he kept open your precious Guantanamo Bay, right? And he's still prosecuting the Afghanistan war. So please, don't, you know, spare me your, uh, your peacenik approach to, uh, to Mr. Obama. The fact is he's doing what he needs to do. Uh, you know, I, I wish it were so. I wish it were so. But all, I, I'm really giving him the, the greatest benefit of the doubt. Bin Laden uh, and Libya really are the two biggest things you can point to. And I'm not talking about Benghazi, of course. I'm talking about Libya, you know, and Gaddafi and the end of Gaddafi and so on. Um, this is a, a real canard. It's, it's not possible to think of Obama as a strong leader when it comes to foreign policy. You, you just can't buy this, folks. Uh, and bin Laden, you know, look, I, I mean, the, 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 hurric- the, the storm of information that came to him and the opportunity was available while he, President Obama, was president. Got it. Okay? And he took the opportunity... Uh, he felt very comfortable that this was accurate information and that he was going to get bin Laden. They got bin Laden. I don't think there was any considerable risk to Obama. You know, what's the worst that could have happened? It could have failed. The mission could have failed. Do you think that people would be upset with him because he undertook a mission that failed? I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, that I just, I'm not that impressed with it. And it does not mean military prowess. I think uh, Obama had no choice but to take out bin Laden, and, and had he not done so, it would have been a dereliction of duty, especially when it was very clear that they knew where he was at that point in time. What was it, 2011 that it happened? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, May of 2011. May 1st, 2011. There you That's go. what they say happens. You know, we have differing opinion on... Yeah, we'll get to that another time. But Libya was the next thing, and, and what you... I, I don't know how you can spin Libya as somehow a successful military operation on the part of the Americans, or that Obama did anything um, helpful in this regard. I, you know, I think there was some, some pressure, some, some statements that Obama made, but make no, no mistake, there were, there were no boots on our ground, uh, on our part, in Libya that brought about the downfall of Qaddafi. And by the way, Libya is a, is a mess as it is right now. And, and please, don't tell me that somehow, uh, in any shape or form, Libya uh, is a success uh, as a stable country. Okay, so I think we've whittled down the possibility of characterizing Obama as a good military leader. He is just not a strong person. So, for him to now pursue not only boots on the ground, but to also take on ISIS in the way that he must, which is to obliterate them and to dam- you know, damn the torpedoes, so to speak, and to not be wishy-washy about who might be killed in the process. There must be, unfortunately, as much as we'd like to avoid it, this is going to be more, it should be more like a, a Dresden situation. This should be more like just take them all out situation. And that means collateral damage. Yes, that means that there is a possibility that some innocent civilians will die. That happens. It, 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 it happens even when Israel goes into Gaza. It's amazing how few civilians die, but there, there are civilians who die. And we can't tell who was a participant uh, on behalf of Hamas and who wasn't. But let's assume that at least half of them 
were uh, not participants and, and didn't want anything to do with Hamas, and yet they still died. Does, it, does that make the war effort inappropriate? Of course not. No more so than the American attack on the Germans or the American attack on the Japanese and the wildly high number of collateral damage that we had back then. We can't focus uh, on making sure that we always have a pinpoint accuracy with every single killing that we, that we do, that, that everything has to be exactly right. And in the process, if we were to adopt such a policy, uh, then the problem becomes that we'll never get everyone. You, you, you simply can't um, prosecute a war hoping that you'll never uh, hurt anybody. And as they say, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggshells. But you can't prosecute war in the same way that you, you run politics, uh, where you have a PC world and, and everything has to be said and, and spoken just the same way. You're going to have to take, uh, you're going to have to take some of the, the flack as, uh, as it comes to you. The, the war is a messy business. Every single major war, uh, successful or not, but especially the successful ones, uh, had their uh, pitfalls and their burdens and their missteps, and it'll always be that way. The Civil War, the Revolutionary War, um, I mean, thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men uh, died in uh, horrific ways. And sometimes it was a result of friendly fire. Sometimes it was because of poor decisions on the battlefield. And we also had collateral damage up the wazoo. And if, and if you cannot accept that possibility, then you will lose everything at the end. And that's why I say this is the fulcrum moment, the moment where we make a decision. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to tip our way? Uh, Ari, I think you had a point about this very point. Well, there's, there's that, but most of the time men are, are killed en masse when they try to do the politically correct thing, do the uh, rules mm. of engagement a certain way. To, you know, How many Israeli soldiers are killed because they won't just do the job because yeah. they're afraid of the media or whatever? And then the big thing about it, the the ISIS situation, or you know this this whole conglomeration of pan-Islamic terrorist groups, is that they're here already. It would involve not just the obliteration of the the ISIS, uh, you know, uh, rugrats screaming around the Iraqi and Syrian deserts. It would also mean the elimination of some very wealthy people in the UAE and Dubai and, you know, the, the Arab funding mechanisms with the oil money. And then here's the ugly part, the two parts that are really ugly. Hmm. It would mean the complete deportation of every illegal alien, the complete sealing of the border, and perhaps the shutting down of huge amounts of departments at every major university on every college campus that has a Muslim student organizational structure that has affiliations to care Muslim Public Affairs Council, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, etc., the Saudi government. Right. And, and the, the problem, I mean, obviously, look, it might, it might even get to that point. It might get to the point where we're so infiltrated. And, of course, there's plenty of wonderful Muslims here who, who love America, who want nothing to do with ISIS or extremism, and they just want to run their businesses, their restaurants, their, uh, their, their, and, and do the good deeds that they want to do. We know plenty of those people. But like we said the other day, it is totally irrelevant uh, that there are so many good Muslims. Uh, the fact is that there's apparently a very large, even if it's not even a large, it's not even a majority 
I just need a, a, a large group, like I ISIS. 20. 20%. 20 percent. No, 20, 20 of people. them yeah. to blow up the World Trade Center. Yeah, there you, you go. Need five of them to smuggle a backpack-sized nuclear weapon into a downtown city center yeah. and detonate it. You know, and, and the... What you're saying, you know, will evoke images. So I'll just evoke the image right away, right here for Japanese internment stuff, yeah, right? Right. And of course, the the difference, the huge difference, is that no no Japanese within America was advocating for the overthrow of America. It was a very different time, of course, back then. And basically, people who immigrated here from uh, Japan had basically abandoned Japan and had embraced America. They left they they left Japan for a reason. And, and here they are, and they're productive citizens, and, and they're not creating organizations for the you know, questioning of America or the destruction they of America. They funding Japanese insurgency there you go. and Japanese study departments on college campuses. Right. What I do think that needs to be done, uh, in contrast, because you, you, can't, you can't have a blanket internment, of course, of, of all Muslims. It's, it's absurd. But I think we need to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to radical organizations that are infiltrating the government, that are seeking the overthrow, that, are, that, that have ties to ISIS and other militant organizations like that. We have to do the hard work and follow the money, follow the trails and the connections, and who, who's a subsidiary of who. I mean, CARE is a very good example. Yeah, Huma Abedin was a perfect example. Yes. You saw Michelle Bachman and some others come out and say, investigate her. And Republicans like Lindsey Graham and John McCain jump to her defense when it's clear she has ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. There were, there were big issues with that. I, you're totally are right that there issues. are big issues and there will continue to be big issues with, with her. And we, to some extent, we are putting our heads in the sand. Um, there are, and and it's, all, it's all because of the PC nonsense because we're dealing, because Islam is a religion, right? And, and, and they can hide behind that very easily. It's... Uh, and, and then somewhere along the line, they also claim it's race as well. But that's as not... If the, there aren't white Muslims. It, it, bingo. Thank you. And, uh, and it's hard... Who, oh, hold on. Yeah. Who are of privilege? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a dig Yeah, I, Yeah, I know. Uh, we have... Uh, there are a lot of liberals. We'll, we'll talk only in terms of privilege. They'll see you, your white skin and decide that you, you automatically have privilege. That, that's cute. What about all these poor people that are... Yeah, that are white. in Appalachia. Yeah, <laughs> but but let's let's not get too you know off track here. The point is that there are um, we we have to do the hard work, and you can't. We have to kind of pierce through the crap that we're seeing. We have to pierce through the claims of religious intolerance and the claims of racism, and and simply say, look, I don't care what you're saying. This is garbage. You're trying to hurt America. Not, all, not not any Muslim. I'm talking about uh, care groups like care and other groups like it that are looking to infiltrate and to weaken the infrastructure of the society itself. If that if there is such a thing, I'm not saying there is, but if there if we were to find that out, we need to to work hard to to weed it out. It's it's, it's a plain as, as day, right? Yeah. If we, and, and if we were to find, for example, let me just make a simple analogy because it's it's I can hear you know I can hear almost hear the liberals sweating with anger at this point. Okay, so if you're sweating with anger at this this suggestion that somehow we be very vigilant about people who want to harm America, um, let's let's instead of talking about Muslims, let's talk about Germans during World War II. Okay? And you found out that a bunch of Germans uh, had a secret society and even not so secret society 
uh, whereby they were seeking to undermine American values. And they were trying to dilute anything that's American. And they, they say, well, we Germans don't feel good about the American flag being shown around all, all over the place, just to use an example. And that uh, we should be able to uh, show our flag as well. In fact, even, even the swastika, we should be able to hold that up. As well, and we should be able to raise money and send it to Nazi organizations worldwide for Nazi uh, liberation purposes. There you go. So you see, and and you of course would say, well, that's that would be inappropriate and totally wrong for them to do, and we should weed them out. And you're right, we should weed them out. Uh, but you see, the difference, folks, is that I stripped away all pretense of religion or race in the process, right? Because Germans, as you know, uh, basically come from the same European background that so many in America have and so it's not a race issue and it's not a religion issue although I would argue although it actually is They're, you're the Aryan purity that's a race yeah yeah and uh, a form of paganism called Nazism okay. is the religion but okay but you know? you're not going where I'm going I'm, I'm simply saying from, from their perspective yes I understand from their perspective from their perspective and from our perspective you know it <laughs> The, the paganism that they're talking about, that you're talking about, rather, is is a negative, right? Whereas Islam is a, it's a positive thing. They they would say this is a very valid religion, blah blah blah. Okay, and then the pigmentation of their skin is different. Therefore, they get to ride on that too. They get to hide behind the skirt of the skirts of race and religion, the two R's, as it were. I'm sure there's a third one, a th- third R, but I'm not thinking of it right now. Okay, race and religion. They can hide behind that, and in the meantime. They advance forward, and it's very scary. We 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 are so we want to be so tolerant. We want to be so embracing, so accepting, and and one day it's just going to be right on our doorsteps, and we will have no choice, no choice, but to say, "F that crap," and react radically to, and and react very hostily to it. We may very go uh, very well go the way of Japan. Uh, I'm talking about. As they are right now, you know, Japan doesn't allow a single Muslim in the, into the country, and 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 the reason why is that they don't want any uh, danger to their country. They they refuse to accept Muslims. They don't want that. Now, that's a that's a really radical thing. I'm not encouraging it whatsoever, but I do think um, that you know, Japan does not have to worry about ISIS on its doorsteps. It doesn't have to be worry about being infiltrated. I, I, I do think it's radical. I do think it's it's obscene. But I think we need, at the very least, not to go the Japanese way, because that is extremely racist, you know, just to blanket like that. But I do think we need to be much more vigilant about who we let in from the Muslim world. We, we need to have two eyebrows raised whenever somebody from a radical country, such as Iran or Syria or otherwise, is coming into this country. We need to have more eyebrows up than we would, let's say, somebody from Argentina. Or a Saudi Arabian student who's been in college for 17 years, still hasn't graduated to take part in campus activity with one of those preferential visas. Yeah, you might want to. You might want to look into that. Who then enrolls in flight school and then blows up the World Trade Center. Yeah. Yeah, just we we, we just have to be super vigilant. And we're going to be in a state of DEFCON uh, 4. I don't know where we are now. One. We're definitely in one. We need to be... No, no. One is... War. Ah. Five is relaxed. Okay. So whatever the most... The high we, number is good. <laughs> low number is war. Right. So we should be in either DEFCON 2 or 1. Or probably. 0. Or 0. I don't know. If, is there there is no 0, but we could make one up. DEFCON 1 is war. 
but we're, we're soon, we're getting to that point because, make no mistake, uh, this is going to get bigger. We will look back on ISIS the same way we looked back at the Nazis. Remember, from your history books at least, that the Nazis were a very small organization, right? They were, they were, they were nuts. They were crazies. They were always were crazy, of course. But they were dismissed as, shall we, call, shall we call them the JV team, perhaps? Oh, yeah. We were saying that, right. what you just said, about Hamas, Hezbollah, the Palestinian, the PLO, Iran, Iraq, you know, Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Uh, ISIS is now the Wehrmacht. Yes, I, <laughs> you know? I, 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 I agree. What I'm simply saying, you, know, you and I have acknowledged it all this time. We've, we've warned about it all this time. But what you and I say today... Uh, first of all, we have a I, we have a, mo- a microphone and, and people listen to us. It's nice, but we don't have the same power or influence that Obama does. And uh, he needs he needs to see it. He needs to understand that this is not a JV team. But instead, we're condemned to repeat history. Uh, ISIS is exactly like the Nazis were in the very beginning. They are now creating their mischief. They grew in numbers to the point now where they can create the mischief and the horrific horrors that they are now committing. Uh, are they engaging in, in gas chamber work? No. But would they do it? Yes. Well, of I course they the would. Firing squads in the live barrels on mass is uh, very similar very to similar, some of, of the work oh. that regime did. They, they, they would love to obliterate every single Jew, every single Christian and for that matter, any any Muslim that does not practice Islam that the way the way they want it to be practiced. That's that's the bottom line. Even even with Sharia law. Yeah, and there's one other thing that is so overlooked with this. When you look at say a Hamas or a Hezbollah, most of the adherents, the participants, all the people up and down the chain of command and control of those organizations is a Middle Eastern national. With ISIS, we don't know the numbers, but it's a huge number. Of them have American and British passports. Yeah, oh, these are people just, yeah. who have gone radicalized from our colleges. Right. Thank you, UCLA and Berkeley and Stanford to go there yeah. and practice hot jihad with a gun. Right. Who have a legal passport to come back here and practice their stealth jihad? Yeah, and, under and, wraps here. And and in a separate podcast, we'll talk and we'll give a preview of this. The reason for that, Ari, is that radical. Islam, ISIS, gives them a purpose, and 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 why and they gravitate toward it just like uh, you know history abhors a vacuum, right? So, young men need purpose; they need a sense of destiny, and there's nothing like that anymore in America. And on, on the contrary, if anything, they are told that America is a bad country, or at the very least, to look at it with a jaundiced, cynical eye, right? So you you know it's it's hard to to be pro America in America today at least in Los Angeles I can tell you if you say gosh America is such a great country wow we really have just kicked butt in the world and civilization and everyone really ought to learn from us you know that that sounds very primitive it seems very wrong and um, instead what Obama and, and many people like him many people not everyone over at the Brentwood Country Mark at the yeah, that's right they want us all to look uh, at America. Uh, with a big apology uh, attitude, they 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 want to say, you know, uh, 
whatever good has happened uh, has happened on the on the backs of slavery. You know, like one of my callers uh, yeah, mentioned. Yeah, we consume too much. We use too much. We recycle too little. Too right. many plastic bags. So when you hear this, over, when you hear this over and over again, this drumbeat over and over again about how bad we are and how, and and America is not all that great and so on. In fact, it's not great at all. In fact, it's one of the worst countries in the world. You know, and, and then you, there's a young man who, who's looking for purpose, and you know he has some Muslim roots, and they're telling him, "Come over, we'll give you purpose. Come see the glory of Islam and how good it is." And yes, you are right about America. It's a terrible country. Yeah, help like- us, help us defeat your terrible country with us. Yeah, it's like yoga class in West L.A. with a gun. You'll love it. Yeah, You're exactly. right. Yeah. And, and then there's a perfect analogy to this. And I'm not calling these people Muslim terrorists, but it's a perfect analogy. The disaffected black man from the inner city, how he joins gangs for purpose and male yeah. leadership. This is the same thing yeah. for the disaffected potential jihadists. Right. I talk about this on my Sunday show. And, and I don't want to drill down too much more on this, but uh, to, to follow up on your point, every young man... Every person, generally speaking, but especially young men, they need direction in their life. They need to believe in something in a big way. They need to feel like this is their raison d'etre. Whatever it might be, this is what they are. What, 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 what are you willing to die for? Every man, everybody should be asking this one question. What are you willing to die for? And you should be able to have an answer. And I'm not talking about just your family. That's assumed, right? You should be willing to die for your children. Got it. And your wife. Got it. However, beyond that, what are you willing to die for? And for you and me, Ari, I already know your answers because I just know you very well. You're willing to die for America. You're willing to die for Israel. You're willing to die for Judaism. And dare I say, you'd probably be willing to die for Christianity. Yes. Right? So, um, you know, I I think... um, that says Matlock. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. No, I do know. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's, it's funny. I'll go there another time, I suppose. Uh, he, uh, he already gave me a very funny, uh, passed me a very funny note about Matlock uh, and The Simpsons. So there's a reference to that. Okay. So I, I want to, we'll, we'll dig deep into the issues of purpose later on, because it does explain so much of what we're seeing, at least in terms of this huge sucking sound of crazies leaving America and Britain and other European countries to fight for ISIS against their own countries. In third world hellholes with no women, yeah. no showers, no plasma TVs, oh, no, no, no nothing. No, well, the women are coming, and they're, they're very young, and these women... I know, it's like summer camp. I, wait, wait, wait. wait. We, we, we see time and time again, there are, story, there are many stories now of young women, Muslim women, and I'm talking about 16 years old, so you can, they're barely women... Uh, who are suddenly running away from home, going to Syria. They know that the Syria is, is, is there, but they're, they're promised a man who will protect them and give them romance. This is in their very immature brains. That's what they're hearing. Of course, they, their story is very deve- uh, different when they arrive there. But women are actually going there. So this is a, a bad, bad situation right now. So what is this all about? Why are we saying this as we close this, uh, this podcast? We're saying that things are going to start being very different in the near future. I predict within five years, uh, we, we will have to make such a huge change in our attitude about uh, tolerance when it comes to Islam. Um, you'll, you'll be surprised about how much things will have changed in the next five years.
and that's a that's a short time window. It might be less. Even as short as I just said, five years, it might be less. Well, you know, all of our predictions. You know, when we predict today, the left proves us wrong because they make it a minute. Right. Yeah. Well, and and here here's the thing about it. It's I mean, the left. I can I can hear the left talking about this now. And you know, Barack and Ari. You know, we may agree with you here. This is not a right left divide. And maybe they're right. I don't know. Maybe they're ready to fight. I know so many of my liberal friends who are ready to fight now, who are saying, I mean, my brother said this very well. He said, uh, you know, we need to go really hard on these guys. And he recognizes ISIS as the evil. Um, He had a a quick phrase that was so funny and and so articulate and so insightful. I wish I could remember right now. Uh, But in any event, uh, he recognizes that we must do something very aggressive. Um, So... Maybe it's not a left-right divide, but it is a, a situation of understanding that it entails hard work right now. We must engage in the hard work. And what's going to happen is we're going to start looking at uh, every Muslim group in a very different way. We're going to have a much more jaundiced eye, a much more cynical eye uh, as we approach the future. And God help us all, because uh, that is, my friends, the only choice we have the only choice. We must now be very aggressive. And who we can blame on that? Well, we'll deal with that another another time. We'll simply say for now that we are where we are in our history, and we must take aggressive action. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon. Yeah.